theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. to Resurrection Sunday. We are so excited. You know our theme. It's life's comeback. I've already introduced myself. We're going to get all of that out of the way right now. I want you to do me a favor. And if you have your Bible, and if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We're going to show you the scripture on the screen. But if you have your Bible or you have a phone and you have the Bible app on your phone, I want to invite you to make a declaration with us that we do every week here at EC. And so I want you to lift your device in the air with me or lift your Bible up and just repeat after me really simple but in faith I want you to declare this this is my Bible it is the Word of God I can do what it says I can do I can be what it says I can be and I can have what it says I can have praise God do you believe that give him praise praise God I'm so thankful And I want to invite you to open up those Bibles or those Bible apps to the book of John, chapter 19, verse 28. And I'm going to read 10 verses in your hearing today. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James. Again, we're so delighted that you're with us. And you have to pardon our enthusiasm. But if you knew what I came from, you would know why I'm so excited. If many people have that testimony, praise God. So look at this. This is something that I think many of us are familiar with. But look at this historical account of what takes place in John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was uh, crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. He who was seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he may take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. I'd like you to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to preach a very obvious thought that we've been promoting, and we're so glad that you're with us here in person and online. Life's comeback. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, we love you, and I'm grateful for everybody that is here today. Also, those that are watching online, we are so thankful that your presence is here in such a rich and fulfilling way, oh God. I pray that you would anoint me with the type of anointing that makes preaching and teaching relevant and accurate, God. I pray that you would minister to every need that is represented here, for I don't know them, but you do, God, and I'm declaring a comeback in somebody's life today because you have the ultimate comeback. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name would you clap your hands into the Lord thanks so much for standing you may be seated make yourselves comfortable well he is risen and he is risen indeed we've gathered together this Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ all around the world and even all around the greater Toronto Hamilton area Christians will come together if they haven't already to remember the fact that the tomb was empty. And just a reminder, the tomb is still empty. 
it's good on this Easter Sunday to be reminded how we need to consider, though, we need not to forget that, yes, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and we have the victory. However, at the time when this was happening, this was considered the most humiliating loss of a Messiah. In the eyes of many, Easter almost never came about or perhaps its ending was very different in their mind. It was disaster and defeat. Everybody enjoys a good comeback story. You all know, many of you know that I'm from the States, and so I know sports is not as popular up here in Canada because uh, we were just talking about it. It was funny. Uh, even in high school, we have rivals, um, you know, and then it was hitting me like, they were like, what is, what is that? I was talking, they were like, what is that? And I was like, oh, wow. So sports is a really big deal. And I know some of you all might follow the NBA because the Raptors uh, won the chip not too long ago, uh, though it feels like a long time. Uh, but enjoy it. Praise God. You got one, and I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Praise God. I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan, and we got a lot of chips. Praise God. That's right. Go Spurs. Go. Uh, but. I'll never forget this comeback because I know this might not sit well with some of you, Andrew, but I am a LeBron James fan. I'm a LeBron James fan, and I make no apologies about it. Before I moved here, I had dubbed Toronto LeBronto. Nobody be mad at me. But uh, I remember during the 2016 NBA Finals, uh, if you don't know anything about basketball, out of the West and Eastern conferences, these champions will come from their respective conferences, and they will play in the finals. And Golden State had earned home court advantage by setting the NBA's best regular season mark. I, by the way, I'm a big LeBron James fan, but I didn't say I consider him to be the GOAT. I just want to clarify, in my mind, there is no question who the GOAT is, so we're not going to even go there. Uh, but they, 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 these Golden State Warriors had a record of 73-9, and nine, besting Michael Jordan's team, who I do believe to be the GOAT, who had a record of 72-10. and 10. They had jumped out to a 2-0 lead and were up three games to one. Cleveland uh, finds themselves in a deficit that nobody had ever come out of before. However, the Cleveland Cavaliers won all three games and became the first team to successfully overcome a 3-1 deficit and win the chip in 2016. I remember that because I remember where Lincoln and I were sitting. We were on the couch, and when my man Kyrie hit that three, I jumped up so high regardless of furniture, and I landed on all types of kind of stuff with screaming. My adrenaline was pumping. I'll never forget it. But I'm thankful we all understand the importance of a good comeback. And I knew I was in. I know I'm in Toronto. I knew that would. I know LeBron has broken y'all's heart so many times. I knew that story wouldn't go over terribly well, but it's still the truth nonetheless. A comeback is there. And this is just one example of a heartwarming story, at least for me, of a victory that seemed all too unlikely. There are many, many more, not just in the world of sports, but countless limitations overcome and broken boundary, boundaries broken, victory snatched from the jaws of defeat. However, there has never been a comeback like the one that took place on that first Easter morning. After three years of earthly ministry, Jesus was arrested for the claims of being God. And he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and performed countless miracles on his way to the cross at Calvary. As a matter of fact, he rubbed the religious people so wrong because Jesus is inclusive. I'm going to tell you that again. Jesus is inclusive. As a matter of fact, he went to those who were downtrodden, those that were overlooked, those that had been ostracized and maligned. He didn't come for those who were the elitist and for those who thought they had it all together. But he said, I'm coming for the broken, and I don't care what color they are. I don't care if they're brown, black, red, yellow, white. I don't care if they're educated or uneducated. I'm coming for humanity. Let me just tell you, the Bible says that God... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves the world. He doesn't love just black people or white people. He loves the world. He doesn't love just rich people or poor people. He loves the world. He doesn't love just educated and uneducated. He loves the world. Therefore, at Extraordinary Church, 
We say we are the perfect church for imperfect people. In other words, you belong here. Never been to church before? Good. You belong here. Been going to church your whole life? You belong here. Either way, Jesus Christ is the answer. So here he is, God in the flesh, performing, healing, loving, restoring, defending. And they had had their full or their fill. The Pharisees wanted to see Jesus extinguished because of the threat he posed to their control. I talked about it last week. The Roman government wanted him dead because they saw him as a threat to his power. And finally, Satan wanted to kill Jesus because it would ensure his own unthreatened rule on the earth. The crucifixion was the confluence of all three powers into one place. Here you have the Lord Jesus Christ on a wooden cross lifted up between two thieves, one on his right and one on his left. I know my right and left, but I was doing that for you. One on your right. Y'all might be like, that brother don't know what his left and right is. I do. I was just saying it as if I was out there with you. He was bloody, naked, and ashamed. Shamed. The book of John gives the final account of his life. And I read some of that to you in the latter part of John 19 there, verses 28 through 34. You can read it again when you have a moment. But the historical account of Jesus' final days reveals that all of the prophetic scriptures written about him had come to fruition. See, what many people saw as a foiled plan was actually a part of God's plan all along. The final words from Jesus' lips were, it is finished. After he said this, he gives up his spirit and he dies. And I want you to think about this. I know that the Pharisees and the Romans and the other people in the world were like, I don't believe this, but I want to show you all of the length they went through to try to ensure that Jesus would not raise himself from the dead as he said he would. The precautions they had taken. The soldiers came to check there. The three men who were there and were crucified. The men on each side of Jesus were still alive. So they broke their legs to hasten or to accelerate the dying process. Jesus, however, had already expired. And they poked the spear in his side. And the evidence of that fact is that he was dead because blood and water gushed from his body. Everybody at the foot of the cross is distraught, as you can imagine. The Pharisees thought they had won. The Roman government had thought they had won. And Satan and evil were confident they had won. But Jesus wasn't finished. It looked like all hope had been lost and that there had been a major setback. The man whom they believed to be the Messiah, the one who would come and rescue the world, had been killed. However, they didn't realize he was about to come back. Look at this, Matthew 27, 65. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So here are the precautions they went through to ensure he wouldn't do what he said he would do. The first precaution is there's a trial. Jesus goes through six distinct trials. He goes, he goes before uh, Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, uh, Herod, and then back to Pilate. The second is the crucifixion. Alexander the Great introduces crucifixions to Egypt and Carthage, and the Romans subsequently learned it and perfected it. Cicero called it, and I quote, the most cruel and hideous of tortures. Will Durant wrote, and I quote him, even the Romans pitied the victims. Josephus, the Jewish historian, had observed many crucifixions during the siege of Jerusalem that he called them the most wretched of deaths. See, the Romans were grimly efficient pertaining to crucifixions. Victims did not escape with their lives. Remember, if you know anything about scripture, how frightened the Philippian jailer was when, if you don't know the, 
the historical account of what took place. Paul and Silas, they're incarcerated and they're in the inner parts of this prison and they begin to praise and worship God. And all of a sudden, a miraculous thing takes place and they're loosed from their chains and the, door, the jail cells swing open and this Roman guard understands what's about to happen to him. So he concludes it's better to kill himself than to allow himself to be at the hands of Rome and what they will do to him. And Jesus was not only crucified, but he was scourged and tortured to exhaustion. His rib cage was pierced with the spear so that, you know what, his paracad, uh, so that blood and water flowed out. In other words, what am I saying? He was dead. The next precaution is a burial. Jesus' body is placed in a tomb, hewn out of solid rock, fam. Rolled against the front of the tomb, okay? You can read this in Mark and in Matthew. In one of the copies of Mark's Gospels preserved in the Cambridge Library in England, a parenthetical statement is added. At this point in the narrative, it says, and I quote, And when Jesus was laid there, Joseph of Arimathea put against the tomb a stone which 20 men could not roll away. Engineers have examined the evidence and said that the type of stone in that area would weigh one and a half to two tons. Large enough to carry or to cover, excuse me, a four and a half to five foot door. So now the burial is not just any unique burial. They have placed him in the tomb and have put such a large boulder in there that 20 men could not roll it away. The fourth precaution is the guard or guards. The Roman guard referred to in the gospels was a 16 man security force. Normally, four men were placed immediately in the front. They were to protect. The other 12 would sleep in a semicircle. They would take turns every four hours around the clock. Historian Paul Mayer says this, and I quote him, it would have been virtually impossible for thieves to get into the tomb. Because what the world wanted, and they said, well, his believers are so zealous that Perhaps we should go ahead and put in all these precautions because they might go in and steal the body and say he resurrected. Look at the fifth and last precaution. It's a seal. After the guards inspected the tomb and rolled it in its place, a cord was stretched across the rock, fastened at either end with sealing clay. Then clay packs were stamped with the official signet of the Roman governor. This seal was a public testimony that Jesus' body was actually there and that it was protected from vandals by nothing less than the power of almighty Rome. Anything or anyone trying to remove it would incur or have to face the wrath of Rome. But in spite of all the precautions, the tomb of Jesus Christ was still uh, empty that Easter morning. You can wish to rationalize it away, but you must deal with the insurmountable facts. You might say that the Jews and Romans actually outwitted themselves, so they took many precautions to make sure Jesus was dead and in the grave. Their precautions make it very difficult for critics to defend the position that Christ did not rise from the dead. The Roman seal was broken. The tomb was empty. The large stone was moved. The Roman guard fled. All 16 of them. The grave clothes were empty and undisturbed. And there were over 500 with account eyewitnesses that knew he had risen from the dead. Most of all, the disciples were changed forever. And I'm here to let you know that Jesus Christ is alive to produce a comeback in your life. No matter what your mama said about you, no matter what your addiction said about you, no matter what your past said about you, I want you to know that he rose from the dead to help you have your comeback in this life. If you believe that, give him praise. There's no way Jerusalem, the very last place on earth, Christianity could have started if Jesus' tomb remained occupied. Harvard Law professor Simon Greenleaf, who lectured for years on how to break down testimony, 
and determine whether or not eyewitnesses were lying. He said this, the annals of, the annals, excuse me, of military warfare afford scarcely an example of such heroic constancy and unflinching courage. It is therefore impossible that the disciples could have perished in affirming these truths. Had not Jesus actually risen from the dead, had they not known this fact as certainly as they knew any other fact. The crucifixion of Jesus wasn't only a stupid move on the part of the Sanhedrin, but on the part of the devil. Because he couldn't see what was coming. See, 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of Christianity. Without it, not only is our message completely false, but it's powerless. But the resurrection did happen. Even though skeptics tried to disprove it, he's still alive and well. And you can't tell me different because I've been filled with his spirit. I wasn't rehabilitated. I wasn't reformed. I'm telling you, I wasn't re-educated. I've been recreated because I've received his spirit. And people here have received the baptism of his Holy Spirit. Evidence that he is alive and well. Praise God. Listen to a few professors as I quote some of these folks here. Professor Thomas Arnold, chairman of modern history at Oxford University. I quote, I know of no one in fact, no one fact in the history of mankind, which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Listen to Brooke Foss Westcott. English scholar and textual critic. It is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better supported than the resurrection of Christ. Listen to Paul Mayer, professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University. No shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary sources of archaeology that would disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord Calcadot, Chief Justice of England, I quote, as a matter of strict evidence, the resurrection is a fact beyond dispute. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, Royal Professor of Law at Harvard University, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. And not only are we hearing from scholars, but I want you to hear from someone who experienced their very own personal resurrection. They were dead, but Christ called them out of their grave. His name is Lazarus. Listen to Lazarus' testimony. My health failed dramatically and very fast. I was imprisoned at death's door. My body screamed in agony, my organs shutting down for the last time. But as severe as that was, I don't remember how any of it felt. What can I remember? I can still feel them taking the grave clothes off my body. I remember the gasp of the crowd and the look on their faces as I walked out of that tomb. I remember Mary and Martha, the tears welling up in their eyes, reaching out to me. <laughs> that feels like yesterday. And then hearing his voice. Ooh. My eyes fell upon Jesus, the one who gave me life for the third time. I knew his voice, and I knew he had power. But that kind of power, I don't even know how he did it. My mind just can't get around it. But he reached down deep into the pit and pulled me back out. He brought my life back and gave me so much more to live for. Now, take things back for a second. You have to realize something. People told me in the process of time that when Jesus arrived, I had been dead 
for four days. Can you imagine? Everyone was crying and saying to Jesus, it was a tragedy. He couldn't show up sooner and heal me before I passed. Jesus himself was driven to tears, but not out of grief over my death, but from the unbelief of everyone there. You see, Jesus had a different purpose in mind that day. His ways are far above our ways. He didn't show up late for my healing. He was right on time for my resurrection. How many of you have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Oh, come on, somebody. Do you remember when you went under that water, under the only saving name of Jesus, and all your sins were washed away, and you were resurrected as a new creation in Christ? Go ahead and give God some praise for the gospel. Praise God for the good news of the cross. Come on, he called you by name, and you came running out of that grave. Come on, he pursued you with a reckless love. Jesus went all in and sacrificed everything for you. What are you willing to sacrifice for him? It's impossible for you to fully get it without experiencing it, but let me try. The last thing I remember before it all happened, I was lying on my bed in Bethany surrounded by loved ones. Then suddenly, I was engulfed in complete darkness. I was lying down on the cold, hard ground. I was tightly bound in strips of cloth. Despite my disorientation, piercing through the darkness, I heard Jesus' voice calling out to me. He said only three words. Lazarus, come forth. Ooh, I felt a surge of energy radiating throughout my body like lightning. Every muscle in my body was twitching and my skin was tingling and shivering all over. And suddenly I felt an immense gasp of air as I took my first breath in four days. I could actually feel my heart starting to beat again and pump blood through me and strength came back to my limbs and I was able to stand up, remove the strips from my eyes and walk out of that tomb. Praise God. It was afterwards that I realized the true impact of the miracle. Him restoring my life, that wasn't the end of it. It was for God's glory that Jesus was magnified through my resurrection. He chose to bestow this precious gift on me. My resurrection was one of the last miracles he performed before his crucifixion. But through my raising, many people there at the burial site believed on Jesus that day. Now I'm convinced that Jesus bringing me back to life was a shadow of his own resurrection to come. He used my miracle to bring new life and hope to countless numbers of people, showing everyone that he is the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever believes on Jesus shall never die. Give him praise. There are many of you that understand and have that same testimony. If it had not been for the goodness of God, if it had not been for the love of God who called you out of your addiction, called you out of your oppression, called you out of your depression, somebody give God praise. I'm telling you, your resurrection is here. Why? Because Jesus is alive. He'll call you out of any dilemma. He can bring life to your marriage. He can bring life to your finances. He's greater than cancer. He's greater than a headache. He's greater than a heartache. He's here to heal you and make himself known. Give him praise. Come on and give him glory. Come on and give him worship. Praise God. What I love about all of the accounts that we're sharing with you, I know and you know, after being married for a little bit of time, I figured it out. There's a distinct difference between men and women. Men and women can see the same thing and come away with very different conclusions. I dare say that women are more detailed in how they see things and how they say things. 
I mean, typical phrases that are heard and attributed to women are, you know what, women talk more than men. Women tend to have a lot more words to say than men. You know what, if you ask a man how he's doing, fine. If you ask a lady how she's doing, typically you'll get a little bit more than a one-word answer. In other words, women tend to be more detailed. Did you see how I did that, men? I'm not dumb enough to say that my wife talks a lot. She's just detailed, praise God. That was just a little marriage tip. Somebody's marriage going, I just resurrected somebody's marriage right there, praise God. It's no wonder, no wonder why God chose women to tell the Easter story. Can you imagine if it was Thomas at the tomb? His response might have been, I'm sure the tomb was empty. I mean, I didn't look everywhere. The body of Jesus might have been in a corner somewhere. And what about Peter? You know, Peter's quick-tempered and will say anything. He might have said, look, all I know is I saw the angel. He spoke to me, and that was it. I didn't have to go and check things out. If you notice the scripture, he ran like right into like right at the entryway of the tomb. Matthew, a tax collector, I can hear him saying, oh, my Lord. I thought about all the financial liability and accountability of being blamed for emptying the tomb. So I didn't even look in there. You can probably understand why God ordained that women would be the first in the tomb. A woman, the more delicate vessel, is prone to being more motherly and caring. After all, they had come to the tomb carrying spices to anoint the remains of Jesus. I want you to hear me. They had come to anoint what remained. This is a problem in the church today. There are many who desire to anoint the dead thing rather than see the thing that's no longer there. Once you realize that it's no longer there, you can move on and embrace the new thing. I'm trying to help somebody today and encourage you. Stop trying to bring, stop trying to anoint what's dead and realize what's gone. I'm telling you, God wants to shift your focus. Not only were they going into the tomb, but they were going to anoint the head of Jesus. They were going to take care of and address the wounds of his body. And now when the Sabbath, look at Mark 16, 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And that's another thing I just want to unpack. There are far too many people dressing and nursing old wounds rather than seeing the tomb is empty. I want to encourage you, receive the victory that Christ obtained for all of us. Stop going back to the wounds of your past. The dead things are in your past, but life is in your future and life more abundantly. Those things in your past might be there, but you can put as much anointing on them as you want to, but they'll never smell sweet. I'm telling you, get over the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, and get over the old entrenched habits, the chronic mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional wounds, the sickness that will not be chased away, the hurt that refused to be healed. I'm telling you that God God wants to give you a comeback. The things that you tried to conquer in yesteryear but laughingly taught you today. The things like tall mountains that erupt from the depths of the sea yet immersed in water are still there in your memories. I'm telling you, he wants to speak through all of that and call you into something that's extraordinary. Old wounds. That's the trouble with old wounds, old habits. But John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Mary Magdalene knows what it's like to overcome in Jesus. Someone once asked, what does Jesus mean to me? To answer that, you have to understand my story. I'm Mary. I come from a small fishing village on the coast of the Sea of Galilee called Magdala, and better known as Mary of Magdala, or simply Mary Magdalene. 
In my past, I enjoyed a happy and prosperous life. By trade, I was a murbearer. I had a very successful business and had earned for myself great wealth. It was challenging enough in my community for a man to accomplish this, let alone a woman. But God was blessing my way, and I thought I had everything I needed in life. I had the love and support of my family. My neighbors held me in high regard, and I had earned the respect and admiration of fellow business owners and community leaders. But then, one day, tragedy struck my life in a way that I couldn't fathom. And I suddenly found myself possessed by a satanic force. And my body had been invaded not by one, not two, but by seven demons. And everything that I had worked so hard for in my life crumpled before my eyes, seemingly overnight. I, I couldn't think straight. My mind was embattled in an all-out war against the dark forces that were lodged in my heart, and it was desperately losing. I couldn't begin to describe the horrific thoughts and images that coursed through my mind. Sleep became an endless onslaught of nightmares and terror, and the once widely respected Mary of Magdala deteriorated into a shocking and horrific creature that many thought ceased to be a human being. It tore my heart apart to see those who once loved me turn away in disgust, run in fear and shun my very existence. The most prominent and religious men in my community were petrified of me and powerless to purge the evil that dwelt within me. And oh, if it hadn't been for Jesus, my life wouldn't have lasted for much longer. For you see, it was in this moment when I was so helplessly overrun by evil that Jesus came into my life. There was something so different about him. He wasn't like the other rabbis and Pharisees. He contained within him an authority that I had never seen before and that the dark forces within could sense. And for the first time since becoming possessed, I felt something stir deep inside. Hope. There was something about Jesus that terrified the demons within, something that they could not resist. And for the first time, there was someone that they could not overpower. I still can't comprehend the mercy of God that was extended to me. I was in a deplorable condition, repugnant, repulsive, and Jesus was sinless, holy, God robed in flesh, the perfect example of what God intended humanity to be. He had no reason to want me or to have anything to do with me, but he did. He loved me and didn't judge me. And I will never forget his tender voice as he called me out by name, Mary. And by his power, he commanded the devils and drove them out of me. And I could never repay him enough for what he did. It was in this moment that I decided to live my whole life for him. I used the finances that I had amassed to fund his ministry here on earth. And from that day forward, I vowed to spend the rest of my days following him and loving him. So when the Roman soldiers took him and they beat and broke his body for something that he was innocent of, I was there and I couldn't bear to watch as they dug the crown of thorns into his skull. <laughs> and they drove the stakes into his hands and feet. My Jesus, who had only ever loved and healed, how, how could they do this to my Lord?
but I couldn't go. I just needed to be near him. I had to be with my Lord. And even in death, when they buried him, I just needed to be close by. I kept visiting his tomb. I just needed to be near my Jesus. So when the stone was rolled away, I was the first one there. And I went running inside looking for my Lord. And at first I was frightened by the two angels that I saw standing there, so I ran back out. And the gardener approached, and I asked him, where is my Lord? Where have they taken his body? And then he spoke in that tender voice that I could never forget, Mary. And it was right then and there that I knew that it was my Jesus, that he had risen from the grave and conquered death, and that he will never leave me or forsake me, and that I will get to be with him always. So if you want to know what Jesus means to me, he is life, he is hope, he is salvation, and he is here. No matter what you're going through, he is here to save and deliver and to heal you in the way that he did for me because he loves you. Healing is here. Salvation is here. Hope is here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's here. He's here. Hope is here. Healing is here. What else is here? A comeback is here. I'm telling you there's hope for a comeback. No matter how dark your situation, God can turn it around. No matter what you're facing, he is the God of miracles. I want you to know that you're not too far gone. Stop listening to the lie of the devil, thinking it'll always be this way. Honey, when Jesus steps on the scene, everything changes. He'll change the most wretched people and you'll be unrecognizable to your past. He'll change you and you'll have purpose. He'll change you and fill you with his spirit and then you'll have power. Power to overcome. Power to walk in victory. Power to reveal or to share his glory. Praise God. So Peter, John, Mary, Matthew, James, so many were perplexed because all their hope had been extinguished. And when Mary Magdalene comes running with the news that he's alive, you have to understand, for a moment, for just a moment, Palm Sunday, they thought they were on the precipice of going to war and the war they would not lose. And now all the hope is gone. And when they catch wind, Mary's like, he's alive. And she runs. Peter and John are running, <laughs> and they are running so fast. Peter is like shell-shocked. How could this stone be moved? 20 people couldn't move it. Rome, I, I, I know the power of Rome. I gave my allegiance to him. I knew they couldn't reckon with him. I saw him speak to storms. I, I saw him deliver a dude who was possessed with a legion of demons. And Rome did this to him. How could the stone be moved? He's frozen in his tracks, but the disciple whom he loved, as John often referred to himself as, went in further to investigate and there's somebody here today that's wondering, why are you all so excited? You're kind of standing like Peter. I don't understand why hands are lifted. 
I can't understand the expressions of hallelujah and I love you, Jesus. I don't understand why tears are streaming down your face. But if you'll be like John and look a little further. If you look a little further, you'll see the hope. You'll see it's more than optimism. It's predicated in a very truth that Jesus Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave. And for many of us, many of us were dead, but he has made us alive. I like myself, and I'm going to invite our musicians to come as we get ready to close. But I remember being a teenager, and I remember feeling like all hope was gone. Extinguished and far beyond my reach were any possibilities other than failure and that failure being final. I tried everything you can imagine. I tried astral projection. I tried meditations. I tried different readings, Eastern mysticism. And the only thing I felt like, I was being pulled into a dark, dark hole. Never thought about suicide until that time. I can remember thoughts saying you should kill yourself. So perplexed and overwhelmed with life, I thought about, thought about it. I was so confused, I dropped out of high school, a senior. I could have just hung around for three more months and finished going on to university. I didn't. But I can remember thinking to myself, I've tried everything, and it's leaving me empty. I've tried everything, and I am so hopeless. I could hardly walk home from high school without sitting on the curb throughout the week and just weep because I was so depressed and so broken. I didn't care who saw me. My life was in shambles. I remember walking out of my calculus class. I was a smart kid. <laughs> and my teacher just saying, another one bites the dust. And I didn't even care. But I thought I've tried everything else. I might as well give Jesus a try. And I had a friend who invited me to church. Y'all are really fortunate. You know, it's a couple hundred of us here. But it's like hot, no AC. We, we, we used to rent a big fan. <laughs> that, you know, the, you, you, you knew the preacher had to yell because he was trying to speak over the fan. And that would be the only thing to keep you cool. And it'd be so hot, like when you got up out of the, the polyurethane, would stick to your clothes. It was the worst. But it was there that I thought to myself, like maybe some of you are thinking, oh, my God, these people are crazy. I was like, okay, you believe in Jesus, but do you got to be that crazy? I was like, I, I get it. I get it. I was like, when this dude gets done yelling, I'm out. Back in the day, we used to say deuces. I'm out. You know what? But instead of walking leaving, the goodness of God was drawing me. And without anybody around, because I was too broken to trust anybody. I went over to the side. I looked, and everybody was over there. I come up to the altar, and I had nothing to say, Vincent. The only thing that came off my lips, I'm sorry. And as I said, I'm sorry, I began to cry. I began to feel the presence of God. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know, because I thought I was a tough kid, <laughs> I began to cry uncontrollably. And I felt this love and joy and peace on the outside I had never felt before in my life. And I knelt down and I lifted up my hands. And as I began to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Like somebody was saving me. I felt a comeback. I felt hope and peace and love. And as I began to say, thank you, Jesus, 
my hands lifted. The next thing I know, my language began to change. I'm just giving you the plan of salvation because the Bible says when you believe, you repent. I said, I'm sorry, you repent of your sins. And he says that you shall receive the baptism of his spirit. And the Bible talks about when you receive the Spirit of God, it's evidenced by speaking in another language as he gives the ability to speak. And that began to happen to me and nobody told me. Nobody prayed with me. I had not even read scripture before. And I had this experience. Don't tell me he won't go to great lengths to reach you. Went back to high school, went on to college, and I'm not even getting into all my story, but let it suffice to say, I've got to come back. Praise God. And there's many people here that are, have a comeback in their life. And I want to declare for you, you might feel like life is over. The devil's a liar. Comeback is here. You might feel like hope is gone. The devil is a liar. Hope is here. You might feel like there is no tomorrow. The devil is a liar. Your beginning and ending is here because it is all in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that you have a future. You have a beginning. You have a now. And he is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the Lily of the valley. He's the Prince of Peace. He is the everlasting King, the wonderful, mighty God, the everlasting Father. He is the Counselor, and His name is Jesus. I want us all to stand. We've got a lot of things planned, fam, and I know we're, we're, we're getting ready to land this plane, but the most important thing that we ever do is to help ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ today is no day for no no different our purpose is still the same and so for some of you who feel like you know what is it true oh it's better than true because it's here I want to thank all of you watching online I bless you in Jesus name come back and join us thanks for listening to our podcast Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.